0: Anarchy. Mm. So in my, like, deepest type A, very organized, very anal retentive soul, because it's that deep <laughs> in me, the idea of anarchy seems terrifying, Ooh. right? Like, like on the political landscape, I want there to be anarchists, and I feel like we need people who are constantly pushing at the very, very edges and not following the rules. You know, that that is part of political change. I've seen that. And so, of course, I want people who are on the very edges and margins of what has become sort of our basic collective understanding of of polyamory and of non-monogamy. So I'm, I'm like for that. But then the organized person in me who really likes structure and for whom agreements make me feel safe and secure... Um, just hears anarchy and has, like, a little panic attack <laughs> right right then right. and there when I'm not even, like, practicing it <laughs> or it's
1: not even... Yeah.
2: Welcome to the Multiamory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily.
3: And I'm Dedeker.
2: We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
3: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
1: On this special crossover episode of the Amory podcast, we are joined by Sex Out Loud podcast host Tristan Terramino to do a little crossover episode where each of our shows are going to get a different edit of the same conversation. So if you want to check out the like Parallel Universe version of this episode, you can go check out the Sex Out Loud podcast <laughs> and find that episode with us. Today, we are talking about solo polyamory, relationship anarchy, and we're really going to get into some nuance and kind of talk about these things. We had an amazing conversation with Tristan where we could really get in depth and get into some of the nuances of these terms and how they show up in real life. Tristan Terramino is an award-winning author, sex educator, speaker, and host of the very long-running Sex Out Loud podcast. She is editor of 25 anthologies and the author of eight books on sex and relationships, including Opening Up, A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships. She's the founder of The Open List, a list of healthcare and other professionals who are experienced and knowledgeable about alternative sexuality and lifestyles, including open relationships, polyamory, and non-monogamy. So Tristan, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to do this together.
3: Thanks for having me. So Tristan, I don't know if you remember this. This was like maybe two or three years ago that I think you and I were on a panel together at an event in L.A., we have the um, pictures to
2: prove it. Okay,
3: yeah. So if you deny it, we do it have the pictures so to prove it. It was so much more than two years ago. Oh it was really? yeah, it
2: was Oh, my gosh. I think it might have I been see, like four years like ago. It feels 10 years yeah. ago.
3: It does feel like that okay. at this point. I think point. it was four years ago. I'll go with four, but oh it does feel like a century. <laughs> wow. Okay, Yeah. So some number of years ago, uh, we were on a panel together. And what I remember about that panel was when someone in the audience asked about solo polyamory specifically, or the term solo poly. And I think you asked a question of like, who uses that term to, to identify and some hands go up and you're like, I'm pretty sure I came up with that term in, <laughs> in my book. Now in the intervening four ish years or so, have you had an opportunity to fact check that or get to the bottom of that? Because honestly I picked that up and I ran have. with it. I was just like, Oh, she says so. Okay. Yeah. That's what I tell other people. I'm like, Oh, yeah, interesting term. You know?
0: Yeah, it's not on my Wikipedia page, but it should be. Not um, yet. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's fun too when I am in a room with people, and like a a, a, a sweet twenty one year old will say to me, um, "Well, okay, but let's talk about solo polyamory. You know what solo polyamory is? It's blah 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 blah, You're blah, like, blah, blah, blah,
4: blah. Yeah, I'm like,
0: <laughs> right. I'm having someone explain solo polyamory to me. I don't want to burst their bubble. Um... But yes, so what I want to say is people have been practicing solo polyamory for as long as people have been practicing polyamory, right? Um, and as we know, we, we keep coming up with new names for these things. And so for my book, I had, a, I had a lot of reference material for my book, but no one had named that particular style where someone is polyamorous or nonmonogamous and doesn't have a primary partner, and doesn't necessarily want one, isn't seeking that out.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the closest thing I found was, I feel like I recall Kathy Labriola, who has written a number of books on, you know, workbooks on jealousy and recently wrote a book on polyamorous breakups and stuff like that. I think she, like did some kind of original research i think back in the day where she didn't call it solo polyamory but it's like she she kind of set up this idea of like some people practice what she calls the traditional model the old school model like the the classic primary secondary and then some people practice what she called the multiple primary model so as in i have multiple partners but all of them feel primary to me and then her description of what she called the multiple secondary model Huh. Still, almost the closest to solo polyamory. And uh, it's been a while since I, since I read her description to it. Um, but again, it, it was kind of this, this sense of, you know, maybe I have multiple partners, but like, I'm not slotting anybody into this particularly very um, couple esque sort of role.
0: Well, and I think it was important for me to give it a name. I mean, we know language matters and it was important for me to give it a name because I think in our culture, which is mononormative, these people would be seen as single, right? What single right. is, is dating. What single is, is hasn't settled down with someone. You know, mm. single is single and looking to not be single. In, in, right. in traditional right.
1: it's like implied. By definition, yeah. right?
3: yes. It's yes,
0: implied, right? Definitely. And so... For me, solo also had this agency to it. Right. Mm-hmm. It ha- that word was important to me because it, it felt like the like folks who practice this are, are solidly, this is like their their choice, and they're not defaulting to anything that's like a norm in society. And they've actually, you know, chosen and crafted this style for themselves.
2: It seems like there's a certain amount of autonomy kind of to solo polyamory like you are your own person and you don't need to be defined by the confines of like traditional relationships and also even non-traditional like polyamorous relationships still operate within these like multiple dyads or triads or quads whatever it is but it still is like so much about the relationship itself Whereas solo polyamory is so fascinating to me because you are like your own autonomous individual operating potentially within like multiple spaces and other other relationships, multiple people, and I don't know, I I am trying to question and figure out like have I ever seen this happen in real life where it's like really been a thing and really worked, and and I'd be curious to to hear the uh, the three of you talk about this.
0: So, I think that's a really good point, because some of the people that I interviewed for my book actually said, I'm my own primary partner.
4: Right.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, that, that plays into what you said. And, like, I can remember, there's, like, a friend of a friend that I know who had this big wedding where she married herself and she committed to wow. herself. Wow. I know, it was awesome. And I saw the pictures and sort of read accounts from people who were there, because I didn't know this person. But I thought, oh, that's, I don't know if this person is monogamous or not. But that's like a solo, a real strong kind of solo statement, Mm, right? I am my own spouse. I am my own person, right?
1: Yeah, it it makes me think of just singleness in general, because that's also something that's a topic we've discussed on this show before, the idea of being single isn't isn't a bad thing. And that, you know, like the research about the health benefits of being married versus being single is all fundamentally flawed in the way it's put together because it's only looking at people who don't want to be single (laughs) and that there's a pretty big (laughs) difference there. Mm. And that, yeah, we don't really Mm -hmm. have a term within the monogamous world of, you know, I'm partnered or I'm married or I'm seeing someone or I'm single. But like you said, implicit in single is, but I don't want to be. And that, so we have to append extra words. Like I'm intentionally single or I'm single by choice, but within polyamory, the fact that we have this word solo poly or solo polyamorous is kind of, kind of cool and sort of an awesome thing we have that, I don't think we really have an equivalent of that within the monogamous world.
0: Yeah, I think there's growing, there's like a growing body of writing about being like what you said, consciously Mm -hmm. single or intentionally single and, and interestingly, in that writing, it is pushing back around these notions that we all are supposed to be yeah. partnered, that everything is sort of revolving around the two, the dyad. Um, so there's like some overlap yeah, there, yeah. even though the people writing this stuff are not necessarily into polyamory. Um, but yeah, so I think we're starting to talk more about even expanding the term single. But for now, I feel like it has all this other mm-hmm. stuff all this other stuff wrapped up in it.
3: Yeah, I think kind of what I see in parallel to that is I am also in the mainstream seeing more people talking about, hey, maybe we should appreciate our platonic friendships more. Maybe we can be leaning into those more. Maybe we should be prioritizing having those more and nurturing those more. And again, it's the same thing of like, this is coming from people who are not necessarily relationship radicals or anything like that, but uh-huh. that are, that are um, wanting to address this
0: a hundred percent so I do have a platonic wife
2: oh I love it and, Aww.
0: <laughs> and someone recently asked me what does that mean
2: mm-hmm. to you
0: and um you know I said we are we're like deeply bonded we have a really intimate relationship I can tell her absolutely anything she would be there for me if you know, I got arrested for a mass murder incident. Gosh! Whoa. Wow! Right? <laughs> okay. Sort yeah. kind of ride uh-huh. or die, <laughs> yeah. right? Or kind of ride uh-huh. or die. Not that I'm planning <laughs> on or even. Thankful, I'm anti-violence. Um, and and she's my power of attorney. Oh um. Mm. No, I mean, if we're going to talk about bringing it into right. the legal realm, like we all yeah. need to kind of do those things and name those people, right? right? Um, Dedeker did that and this year so, too. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, right. So she's going to make decisions, especially when I'm unable to or about my death, because I know she knows in her heart exactly what yeah. I want. And we've talked extensively about it, but we don't have a romantic or sexual relationship. Now, to me, it's one of the closest relationships in my life. It's one of the closest relationships I've ever had. It is one of the most sort of soul-feeding relationships, Mm. right? Um, It's just not romantic or sexual. And I do feel often that those relationships are immediately devalued against our romantic and sexual partners, right? And so it was almost like, I wanted to put it out there. I wanted to say it. I want to tell people, this is my platonic wife because I do want the recognition Mm -hmm. that this is a really important person to me and I will go to them to make important decisions for advice. Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, Emily brought that up that I ran into that because yeah, this year I took care of like my power of attorney stuff and my will stuff, you know, and of course, it's very non traditional, you know. And of course, like all these forms are asking like, okay, who's this person? What's their relationship to you? And, um, you know, the primary people that are in my will most frequently are like my partner, Alex, and my partner, Jace, and Emily as well. And so it was that weird thing of where I, I literally was just like, I'm going to list everybody as a partner. And if after I die, huh. some attorney has an issue with that, they'll have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be dead. Too right. bad for them. Too bad for them. Right. I, I did want to ask you, Tristan, um, do you identify with the solo polyamory label now? Um, and if so, then I have a follow up question.
0: Yes, I do, but it's uh, it's new, hmm. and it's the first time I've identified as solo
3: poly. Well, I mean, I think that probably answers my follow-up question, which is, Gus, kind of like, <laughs> yes. how, does that feel like that's ever fluctuated for you?
0: Yeah. Um, I really like to be in relationship, and I was in a non-monogamous relationship and uh, a legal marriage for 15 years. So I got divorced um, about five years ago. And I very quickly got into another um, hierarchical, non-monogamous relationship where my partner was definitely my partner, Mm -hmm. right? My Mm -hmm. primary. Um, That relationship has changed. That person is still in my life, still really important. But we are not partners and we agree on that. Um, And so right now I feel like I have multiple partners who I'm engaging in intentional relationships with. But I'm not, I've sort of made a decision to not seek out a primary because, you know, when all is said and done, I haven't been not partnered for, you know, when you look back on it and you're like, so when was the last time? And it's probably been 20 wow. years. Yeah. Yeah. So I was ready to say, hey, Let's take a break altogether mm. from from the model of the primary. Then the pandemic hit, and I yep. was like, "Tristan, this was weird that you made this decision right now." Yeah, and yeah, I, I really want to. And this is going to lead to some strange isolation. So let me. Yes.
2: I really want to touch on that, like in terms of this moment that we all are in collectively, of you know, being in some form of isolation regardless of whether we're, you know, isolating with a partner or with a family or with multiple people, you know, in a polycule or something along those lines, and being a solo polyamorous person, I mean, what has that been like and what has that kind of manifested like within yourself and and how do you think that it'll continue to change and develop throughout the rest of the time this is going to be happening?
0: Right? So uh the person who was my partner, we transitioned and we decided to pick lover.
2: Mm. <laughs> That's a romantic one. For uh-huh.
0: lovers. So my lover and I decided we were living together. And we live in we were living together by sort of circumstance rather than choice. And we both also articulated that. That was out in the open. Um, and then we decided not to live together anymore. Then and and about the time that he was gonna move out, the pandemic hit. So we, we said, okay, let's just hold, hold on a second. (laughs) Um, why don't we, I really, I do really like you. Um, and so why don't we quarantine together for a while? You know? Um, so we made that decision. We're going to quarantine together for a while. And then he moved out in August. So now I, I live alone. Mm. Yeah. And before when I've lived alone, um, I've had housemates, Right. right. So now I actually really oh, live alone. Wow. Like it's me and my dogs. Wow. <laughs> um. And it's a pandemic. Yeah. So yeah, it's been it's been a big adjustment for me. Um. Again, it's like twenty years of not alone, yeah. and then you're alone. Yeah. Um. And I think I think it 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 might have taken a darker turn, but. I feel really um, strongly about like keeping my connections with all my other people. Right. So in addition to like professional help, group therapy, individual therapy, psychiatrist, um, I also have these deep abiding friendships and relationships. And I have, you know, I have more time quite frankly to nurture them. Mm, That's kind of lovely.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: You know, I, I do. Um, And that, and I think that's been the difference. Um, I don't feel alone.
1: Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that right there, I really resonate with that. Cause for me, for the past few years, I've sort of been in this weird situation where when I'm with Dedeker, like right now, we're in separate rooms, but in the same house. She's just right through that, that wall over there. I <laughs> can't
2: stand being in the she's same the room. Curtain,
0: which, by the way, is like, kind of amazing. There's like a curtain like there. So I just little,
4: imagine purple she's purple right curtain. on the
1: other side. Yeah, Wizard of Oz style. She's, <laughs> she's right behind yes. the curtain with her little behind microphone the hiding there. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, times of you know living together and having that type of experience, but then also, normally at least, having periods of time where... I live more of a solo polyamorous life where she will be in whatever other country her partner, Alex is in Uh, right now. He's in Australia and, you know, Dedeker was there for the first part of the pandemic. And so I was here by myself and then, you know, now she's here with me and he's living more of this solo polyamorous life. So there's that dynamic too. That's been really interesting of kind of coming in and out of it, but I've definitely found what you're saying, Tristan of, especially during the times where I'm not seeing anyone else, where I don't have any other partners besides Dedeker, and she's out of the country of really learning to appreciate how much more energy and time I have for my friends and for establishing things like that, my other relationships that aren't just my dating relationships. And I found that really valuable and haven't, yeah, I agree with you that I haven't felt like, Oh, I'm, I'm lonely. I'm alone, and yeah, maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes having more touch would be nice, especially during the pandemic, but I haven't felt lonely or or alone, and that's been really eye-opening to see, gosh, Mm. something I always thought I'd be alone in this situation, I haven't felt that way.
0: Okay, so I think you conflated uh, Solo with, like, living and nesting. Mm,
1: Sure, no, I would. Yes, right? I would love for you to because talk more I, about I, that. I
0: wasn't. If, when Dedeker's in Australia, I don't think you identify as solo polyamory. I think you're by yourself, living by yourself, living on your own. Yes or no? Do you identify as solo polyamory?
1: You know, that's a tough question. I've honestly gone back and forth over oh. the years of if I identify <laughs> with okay. that or not because I don't have, I don't really have an intention, at least any time in the immediate future, of like getting into a lease with a partner or, or living together with a partner. So like you said, the the nesting or cohabiting, but also not sort of defining myself by that relationship, by, by getting married or, or entering into some sort of thing like that. However, yeah, it is a very long-term relationship and it's a very serious relationship. So to me, it always brings up that question of what does really define solo polyamory? Because it sounds like what I usually get is it's this, Desire to not kind of let your life just be subsumed into your relationships, or to define yourself by them,
0: or to just not have a primary. My desire is to have relationships, but at this point in my life, I am not looking for a primary. And then everyone identifies, you know, and defines primary differently. That's the question. Yes. And and then primary. (laughs) So yeah. So then primary to me is like. Uh, cohabitating, mixing finances, hmm. uh, making important life decisions with. For other people, it might be uh, raising children.
1: Right, so yeah. That's no, what I mean, I, I kind love, of go back and forth on yeah. whether I identify with it or not.
3: I love this discussion, and especially Tristan, since you're the one who coined the term. That means that you have the, you're the one who gives out the licenses for solo polyamory, yes. and so they have to write to you, we have to come up with our like application distribute. or at least our consultation. Because yeah, I mean, it's a certification yes. program, yeah. and it's very yeah,
4: <laughs> well,
1: There you go. Yeah, I'm yeah is, I was doing this. Is, this is part of my interview process for that, and eventually I'll have to submit. <laughs> you have to be
2: on I'm sex out loud. Yeah. Yeah.
3: actually, I'm going to think about that, Jace. You might have to still do a I, <laughs> I might. Yeah. Cause I have had those same questions where it's kind of like, especially during the times where sometimes I'll spend the year where it's like, I spend a chunk of my time cohabiting with one partner, a chunk of my time cohabiting with another partner, a chunk of my time cohabiting by myself and like maybe dating or cohabiting. just kind of doing my own thing. And, and it is this weird. I mean, for me, it's definitely this weird kind of confluence of like what it feels like is it feels like a multiple primaries models. Like that's what it feels like to me is I have these two people who are very primary to me and in my life and stuff like that. Um, but then, of course, I always have these doubts of like, well, I'm not doing the financial entanglement, but I do do the temporary cohabitation. I'm not doing the kid thing, but I am doing the... I'm assuming you're going to be here long-term, and let's talk about the future, you know? So it all starts to get just kind of... Um, I don't want to say muddy, because I, I feel like muddied makes it sound like it's an inherently bad thing, which I don't think it is, but it's, um, wibbly, it's intriguing. In anyway, I'll, I'll be pulling together my admissions essay as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I think it's it's complicated, right? And so, part of what these labels and categories do is it gives us, you know, I think it really gives people something to sort of hold on to and hang on to. It gives people a way to communicate their desires and what they want to other people. Um, but it's also not meant to be hard and fast and, and black and white, right? We're we're all going to take these as kind of outlines and then fill them in. So in that way, yeah. So in that way, maybe me like challenging Jace about, well, your like your model revolves around nesting, who you're living with. Um, maybe that still can be a solo poly model, right? That nesting becomes uh, a critical factor, mm. and um, and a, a I don't want to say a measure because that sounds so cold and. <laughs> like
3: an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but, uh, but a signifier, a signifier. Mm. Do, have you ever seen um, or picked up on, you know, solo polyamory as a label or as a practice um, being weaponized in any kind of way or applied in ways that are, that are not very healthy?
0: Well, it's interesting because I also feel like I am a super independent person. And I don't need you. Um, and since my divorce, I've um, really developed like an avoidant attachment
3: style. Mm. Mm. Let's hear Here it, it from avoidant had- attachment style, people. Jess
2: and I are the opposite. I'm the opposite. <laughs> that so, um,
3: yeah. So, so, I've never had
0: that style. I've never oh, like wow. expressed that style and I've never been that mm. person. Right. Mm. I've never been that person. And I wasn't that person in my marriage and in most of my relationships. So now I'm noticing, um, I think this is a sort of backlash slash reaction to a very traumatic breakup Mm -hmm. that um, I'm a little more like hands off. I need my space. I need more space than usual. um, And I can take care of myself. So I think... So I think. So I think. In that way, if you go too far over in that sense, right? That I, I don't need anyone. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. We're people, and we need people who we're need people, people who need people. We need. That's a barbershop. Uh, yeah, yes.
2: Yes.
0: Um, so thanks for those of you who got it out there. Um, we do need people. We're we're a social creature, and. So uh, yeah, so I think there's there's some way to make it extreme where you're like I don't need anyone ever. But again, I feel like that doesn't speak to me at all because I have this network of people. Mm. Like I have my booze, which is B O O S. Okay, not, not um, the booze. and I have my lover, okay, and I have my platonic wife, and I have, someone I think I'm just going to call my amor. <laughs> Yeah. So I feel like I, and, and I have these really serious, dedicated group of of friends. And so um, I do live in, com- I, I, I li- live in community. And so I don't, I, you know, I, I feel very conscious about not, um, about leaning in to people in a way that maybe I didn't, you know, like 10 years ago, but which is really important to me now. But I think, yeah, you could take it to the extreme and be like, I owe nothing to no one.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Right? Like, we could all take all of these things to the extreme, so I guess solo poly would be, I can do whatever the fuck I want, and um, I don't need anyone, and I don't owe anything to anyone. I feel like that's
2: liberating in a way, potentially, and, like, yeah, I I don't know. It just seems kind of nice that, yeah, you do have that autonomy that basically you are the creator of your own destiny and you don't have to be defined by the relationships around you, even though those relationships are incredibly near and dear to your heart and mean so much to you, but it's not like, you know, the relationship is the thing is the end all be all.
1: Yeah, I think, but it also comes back to something we say over and over again on this show. When we talk about almost anything is don't, don't weaponize this though, because Like Tristan, you were saying, when you take it to this extreme, you can also use this solo polyamory label as an excuse to just be an asshole and not care about people. So it's with anything you can you can take it and make it into something shitty. So I do I do always like to give that caveat.
3: Yeah, and I think I could see um, where things could get a little tricky is in... um, you can be someone who doesn't want to be part of a couple or part of a triad or like doesn't want to get on the relationship escalator with somebody, but you do still want your relationships to have moments of tenderness and affection and romance and maybe even some mutual care. And And I feel like I could see people kind of interpreting solo polyamory as like, you just want to keep everybody at absolute arm's length and not let any it's it's all only casual fuck buddies that's it and, and nothing else
0: oh yeah i don't think of it as all at, at all in terms of sort of sex or casual sex mm-hmm. um because well it's primarily because i'm not having sex <laughs> with all my people right now right, right. because uh-huh. the right. pandemic so i yeah. don't think of it in terms of like <laughs> physical touch or um you know closeness um but Yeah, I think, uh, I think all those things sort of like tenderness, commitment, meaning, um, all of those can be present in all kinds of relationships. And that includes with someone that you hook up with. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. had incredible tenderness and intimacy with people whose names I, I don't remember at this time. I don't recall. Um, I could I could pick up my phone and ask my best friend from high school. She remembers everything. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I think all of those are possible in any relationship, and also the life of a relationship could be five hours, or it could be. I guess it could be an hour too. I was
2: just, I don't know why I went to five hours. Yeah. That's the cutoff. That's the the threshold. (laughs) The threshold.
1: That
0: was a tell. That was a tell or something, right? Like that was a, "Mm, that revealed a lot. Okay. Um.
1: (laughs) Wow. I I love that. So what I'm taking away from all of this conversation though, is that it seems like maybe those membership cards might not be coming after all that maybe they don't exist and that, that it doesn't quite work that way. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly, uh, t- please, I'm not the purveyor of any kind of, I, c- I can't certify. I can't. I wouldn't be able to certify myself.
1: <laughs> I would fail the
0: test. Um, so yeah, so I'm not certifying anyone else. Um,
1: wow.
3: Yeah, I mean, sounds like I a mean, good alternate keep- income stream, though, really. It does. <laughs>
0: it sounds like an incredible alternate income stream, <laughs> which God knows we all need right now. Yeah,
3: um, for sure.
4: But
0: yeah, I think these, uh, you know, and I think, I think also, like, I could be solo poly in a relationship with someone else who is solo poly, and we could define that differently. Mm. We could each Mm. actually define ourselves differently. Hopefully, we come to some agreement on what the relationship is, right? right? We have some basic agreements and terms. But, But ourselves, how we identify and walk in the world could be different with the same label.
3: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. It seems like again, we kind of come back to this idea of that, even at the end of the day, whatever label you land on, we're still going to have to meet and talk about it to each other. So we are going to be switching gears and switching topics. But before we do that, we are going to take a quick break to talk about the sponsors for this week's episode. to get you not just the 50% discount but also the 100% free shipping code MULTI.
0: One thing that I haven't talked about enough on my show, believe it or not. I I mean obviously I've talked about non monogamy a lot. And I've talked about this a couple times but not in a while and that is relationship anarchy. Relationship anarchy I consider to be a style of non monogamy so under the non monogamous umbrella And just to give folks a basic working definition, again, these are not set in stone, but we like to just see that we can all get on a similar page. I'm going to quote Katie Heaney in The Cut, actually, um, and say, relationship anarchy, which is a term coined by Andy Nordgren, is a relationship philosophy that draws on the tenets of political anarchy. Meaning that all relationships, romantic and otherwise, should not be bound by any rules not agreed upon by the involved parties. What those relationships might look like may vary from pair to pair, but there are several core values shared by relationship anarchists. Being non-hierarchical, in other words, you don't rank your romantic partners as necessarily more important than other romantic partners, or even than your friends, anti-prescriptionist, mm. which is that there's no built-in prescriptions about what a partnership must look like, and often non-monogamous. Some relationship anarchists are polyamorous, and some poly people practice relationship hierarchy. But two, but the two are more like overlapping circles than synonyms. Okay, so that was like a, a quote. Yes. Um, just to give a sense of of what's, what's going on. Um, and I think, you know, this style has been practiced as long as polyamory has. Right. But I don't know that it's been as part of the dialogue, the public dialogue, you know, it's sort of, it's like, it's made a name for itself Mm. and there's more dialogue and more awareness about this and has been in the last decade. And so I'm wondering, you know if you agree with me first of all all three of you do you agree with me that that relationship anarchy is is having a moment <laughs> it's not going to have its you know time magazine cover but <laughs> anyway a tipping point <laughs> um and and then if so why do you think it's emerging now,
3: well, th- that's really funny because I actually have a Google search alert set up for the phrase relationship anarchy that I think I put in place probably at least two years ago, maybe even three years ago now. I don't remember why I initially put it in place. Um, but yeah, so it's like I've definitely noticed in the past year or two, especially that maybe once a week. At most, right now, but that's really in contrast to to years previous. That I'll get a notification of like, yeah, there was some kind of new site, new article index that's about relationship anarchy that re- references relationship anarchy. So, yes, I would agree having a moment. I don't think it's having the moment. You know, we're not at the Time Magazine cover quite yet, but yeah, it's definitely kind of coming out of the woodworks and. As far as why, I mean, I don't know. I feel like most of the explanations that I see is because it's, like, damn millennials and Gen Zers just messing up our ideas about relationship. But what do you, the rest of you think?
2: Yeah, I mean...
0: My, my heart... Can I just say yours? <laughs> sure. My heart loves you that you actually can measure this by your Google alert.
4: <laughs> That's so data So I
0: just want to... I want to, like, thank you for that and say, like, I see you. <laughs> oh,
2: they, I feel seen. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, those damn millennials and Gen Zers (laughs) and stuff are kind of the ones that are like creating a movement to something different than how we kind of believed that relationships always have been and the default. And they're they're questioning that default and changing their belief system about it. And so I think that, yeah, relationship anarchy kind of goes along with that. I'm interested to, to hear what the other two of you think about that. But it does seem like the more that I hear about kids these days, like Willow Smith or whomever, you know, talking about their ideas on relationships, it is very different. And they're more like aware of the possibilities of what relationships can look like and not just the strict box of what... It always has been. And they're questioning far more than we ever have in the past. I do sometimes think like, you know, the kids are all right and they're going to be all right. And <laughs> the, the generations past us are going to do better than than maybe the current moment that we're at. I believe the
1: children are our future. Let them they walk are and let them lead the way. We'll just yes. keep throwing in more like
2: '90s song references. To and it. There
0: could also be a whole playlist that goes away, that goes yes. along oh, with this, and we can good. just keep going but with the references. Those, and then there's a-
2: none of those kids will like get the references because they're like these are way too old. <laughs> so <Nice. laughs>
1: I love that. Yeah, I was just going to answer the the question about um, why why it's having a moment, and it's interesting because. I think what Emily was saying is, is one interesting way to look at it, but another thing I've also seen is that I noticed the term relationship anarchy gaining some popularity amongst the polyamorous communities in LA a number of years ago, specifically as a, as a way for people to move away from using the word polyamory, which to them had become associated with this very prescriptive, hierarchical way of doing things that they wanted to really distance themselves from and to so then using relationship anarchy. And then the other thing I noticed is that I also saw this uptick in people then having a very negative response to the term relationship anarchy because of having experiences in their communities with generally cis men coming along and saying their relationship anarchist and using it as an excuse to just never be accountable for anything or to be honest with anyone or to be open with anyone, which I don't know if that's a, a, a cause of its popularity or it being used more, or if that's more an indicator that it is becoming more common when people are then using it to be shitty. I don't know. I don't know which is which.
0: So this brings up two big issues. Um, The one is, well, one maybe is not big at all. It's just mine, which is um, the thing that doesn't resonate for me about relation. Like when you read the definition, I'm like, damn, I'm so down with that. That, yes, that's it. Um, The thing that doesn't resonate with me is the word anarchy. Mm. So in my like deepest type A, very organized, very anal retentive soul, because it's that deep in me. <laughs> the idea of anarchy seems terrifying. Ooh. Right? Like like on the political landscape, I want there to be anarchists and I feel like we need people who are constantly pushing at the very very edges and not following the rules. You know, that that is part of political change. I've seen that. And so of course I want people who are on the very edges and margins of what has become sort of our basic collective understanding of of polyamory and of non monogamy. So I'm I'm like for that but then the organized person in me who really likes structure and for whom agreements make me feel safe and secure um just hears anarchy and has like a little panic attack <laughs> right right then right. and there when I'm not even like practicing <laughs> it or it's
3: not even Yeah.
0: Okay. So I, there's two things but but I want you to chime in about that.
3: Well, I think that's totally understandable. And I think that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of the limitations of language, right? Is that, you know, we say a word like that, like anarchy, even political anarchy has, I think the the popular usage of that term has kind of strayed away from like the original ideals. And so now it's like you say the word anarchy. And like the first thing I imagine is like gas tanks exploding and there being fire everywhere. <laughs> And a very mad max style kind of way of living, and so it's understandable that we kind of associate this sense of anarchy with a lack of structure and just like total chaos and I know for myself that once I first of all started kind of reading a little bit more deeper into it, you know, like reading Andy Nordgren's manifesto about relationship anarchy, which I personally think is just like great um. And then also when I actually uh, finally read this this really interesting book of essays called Queering Anarchism, which was just all essays on political anarchy, but specifically from these like queer and non-monogamous viewpoints as well. So, so it's kind of like this weird intersection of like talking about relationship and sexuality and anarchy, but not relationship anarchy necessarily, mm-hmm. that that really um, brought a lot of interesting nuance to the forefront because... I Like the way I see it is I don't see it as like, okay, no structure and no agreements whatsoever. But I think it's just kind of like we're making sure that like, everyone is fully aware, fully capable, fully autonomous, able to understand the structures that they are agreeing to instead of us just kind of like borrowing a structure that we're going to use because it's like, well, you're my platonic best friend. And so we borrow this particular structure from culture, even though maybe that's not serving us you know, um, or we're just going to borrow the structure of like cohabiting partners, even though maybe that structure doesn't really actually serve us or doesn't actually make us happy and the agreements and expectations that comes along with that. Um, so yeah, anyway, anyone who's listening, I would highly recommend that book, Queering Anarchism.
0: I just wrote it down. Uh, I was trying to be very quiet with my pen. (laughs) Um, well, also I think There's great intersection. What does appeal to me about relationship anarchy is I feel like it is the clearest example of challenging the relationship escalator. Yeah. Right? Mm. Of, Of saying we're not going to go by these rules and the script and the steps where, you know, you meet someone and then you eventually become sexually monogamous and then you, like, make some kind of commitment and then... You live together and then you get engaged and then you get married and then you have children and, you know, the, the sort of dominant narrative, right? Um, that's the relationship escalator is all about the fact that like you get on it and you can't really control getting off of it because you're in the middle of it. Um, so I think that there's a big connection there for me, at least about wanting to have relationships unfold more organically and put less pressure on them to behave in a certain way or to be a certain thing by a certain date. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great the deadline one is one I don't usually think of in that list of examples, but by a certain time I expect it to have taken these six steps or whatever. Yeah. I think to to go back to kind of the whole thing about relationship anarchy and it is so interesting that I think partly because of the word anarchy, and then also I think just because of people learning about it mostly from whatever blog they read, and depending on the opinion of that blogger, they're going to have a different concept of what it really means, (laughs) what it's really about. I've seen it vary anything from, to be a relationship anarchist means you need to actively be trying to dismantle other people's you know, oh, totalitarian yeah. monogamous relationships.
2: I've never heard that before. A, a rare, yeah. I, yeah opinion, I've but, seen that interpretation yeah. where it's yeah. like,
3: yeah, this also means I'm not going to respect the structures and agreements in other people's relationships. So, oh, okay. as in, if I want to enable someone to cheat on their partner, that's fine because that's part of me completely dismantling and kind of burning this yeah. all to the ground, tearing down. That down the feels system. more of like, yeah.
1: But most most people that I talk to and respect don't don't share that view. But yeah, like that, it's everything from that to some of these things we've been talking about to even the point of you could have a relationship that from the outside might look very heteronormative and relationship escalator y. Like, say you live together with this partner, that you still could identify as a relationship anarchist in some people's definitions, right? So that there really is this big range. But I think that the thing that actually came up when we talk about things like solo polyamory or just kind of um, like intentional singlehood or having the time to really value our friendships and our platonic relationships is it to me that is the heart of what makes relationship anarchy so compelling is that it's and this is something that Andy talks about in their treatise or their manifesto about relationship anarchy, but is this idea that a relationship isn't going to take precedence over a different relationship simply by virtue of its type. So kind of doing away with that assumption that my plus one, if I'm given one, will always go to a person that I'm having sex with, right? That tends to be society's definition of, well, that's the real relationship is, is that one. Uh, you know, the one I'm romantic with and having sex with. And then similarly, not assuming that just because I'm invited to something, that means my romantic partner is also invited, where I wouldn't assume that then my platonic friend is also invited to come with me. That that we've sort of... So when Andy talks about anti-hierarchy, it's not about non-monogamous hierarchy so much, in in my opinion, but it's more about that societal hierarchy that we apply to... You know, we all, we've all had that experience of you've got your best friend and they disappear off the map for a year when they fall into their new hot and heavy relationship. And it's not until they get out of that NRE or they break up that you get to have your friend back because we've all been taught this hierarchy of, well, of course, they're always going to prioritize that person. They have to, they're supposed to. And I, I think that aspect of relationship anarchy is what really appeals to me. And I think has led to the most kind of epiphanies about how I do my relationships of all kinds, not just my romantic ones.
0: Jace, this really hits a nerve for me. Are you, um, are you mad? So, <laughs> no. One of the things you know, we've all lost things mm. because of the pandemic, and and we've lost people, and um, we can't forget that we've actually lost people. Yeah. But I had the opportunity; I was invited to speak in Moscow. Oh,
2: she uh, speaks for uh, Idaho, uh, Idaho
1: or or Russia. <laughs>
0: no okay. russia, russia in in May, and um obviously, I couldn't go, but in the planning for it, when I found out about it and I wanted to travel with someone else, I sort of announced to my lover, "I'm going with Wendy, who's my platonic wife. wife um and he was deeply hurt by oh, that,
4: yeah
0: and he expressed it though he said i my feelings are hurt that when you think of who's the number one person i want to have this life changing experience with it's not mm. me mm. And for me, I, I had to get more specific. It's not that I don't want to have life-changing experiences with him. I actually don't want to travel in a stressful situation. Mm. <laughs> That's
1: a great realization to have, though. Wow. Holy
4: cow.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like The Amazing Race. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we we would do some... We could be on a game show together, but not The Amazing Race. <laughs> I see that as a <laughs> real window into conflict there for me. Um, so I had to clarify, too, kind of what... What about this makes me choose one person or the mm. other? But, but also see that, like, his feelings obviously are real and are valid, but are also, are also, you know, imbued with these norms. Well,
2: because you literally said the words number one, which implies mm. that somebody takes precedent over another and that because he is your lover, he should take precedent over your platonic friend. Mm. And yeah, that's an interesting thing to kind of parse out there because it clearly like you may just want to have this specific experience with your friend and that matters deeply to you like mm-hmm. Dedeker may want to go on a trip with me and she's not in a romantic relationship with me and do something else with jace so yeah that's interesting and it, that's a it, it, you talked about solo polyamory and so much of it still felt Like, it was rooted in relationship anarchy in a lot of ways. But I think that's the challenge for all of us is if you're going to do one of these two things to get away from that, like, hierarchical mindset that's so deeply ingrained within us, it still is such a challenge and will hit us at, like, these inopportune moments, these challenging moments. Surprising moments. Yeah. Surprising moments. I, I
3: think that you could be identified as, like, a relationship anarchist for several years and still sometimes it's surprising the ways that I don't necessarily want to say the word programmed, but the ways that we've, you know, absorbed and osmosed these ways of being in our relationships.
0: So we talked about Andy Norgren, um, but we have to talk about for me this book more than two. Mm-hmm. Um, more than two, I I consider to be the most comprehensive guide mm-hmm. to relationship anarchy. It's a book. It's a book by Franklin Vo and Eve Rickert. And God, so much uh, comes up for me here.
4: So yeah, the first yeah. thing I feel, sure. like I, I, I feel
0: like I feel like I need a I need a disclaimer. <laughs> um, so first, I want to make clear that there are many past and active allegations of harm from the partners of Franklin Voe, who is the co-author of the book. Um, I, I, I encourage people, there are survivor accounts and people's experiences, and they have taken the time to write them down and share them and be public with their vulnerabilities. And one place to find those, I just want to say to people is brighter than sunflowers.com, which is Eve Rickard's blog. Now, more than two, the book is a joint project. And obviously, Eve is a co-creator of it, plus there are a lot of other women's voices Mm -hmm. in it. So I still recommend the book, but I do, I need to provide that context because certainly I read the book at at one point and then when these allegations came out, I sort of had to go back and read the book Mm -hmm. um, with a lens of, okay, maybe all of this wasn't entirely consensual or Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe people's, yeses in this situation were constrained and constricted in a way that I couldn't see because I didn't know
4: mm-hmm.
0: who they were in the relationship and who and 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 what what they brought what they brought to the relationship and then what franklin brought to the relationship mm-hmm. so um i mean Does anyone else have like things they want to say before we dive
3: into more than two? No, I think that was
1: great. That was very well said.
3: That's great. Yeah, Yeah, I think that sums it up.
1: It is still a very comprehensive book that I'd say for a lot of people today was still one of their introductory books to a lot of these concepts.
0: So one of the things that struck me as I was reading it is like, as my best self, I was like, this is everything I want. This is
4: everything Mm -hmm. I
0: want. Um, Right? So my best self, when I'm like, really, uh, emotionally regulated and feeling not triggered and feeling really good and abundance and all those things was like, yeah, man, totally into Mm. it. But then I had to think about my own experiences with open relationships, the hundreds and hundreds of people I've talked to about their own relationships. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, is, is this too idealistic a model to really be able to work in practice. And uh, several weeks ago, I had Jessica Fern on the show. Uh, she wrote the book Secure. I fucking highly recommend that book. Like oh,
3: yeah.
1: nobody's oh, missing Yeah, it. all the same.
3: time. Yeah, we we had her on the and show my- also. It was great. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. did. Great. Probably yeah.
1: around the same time so- when the book was yeah. coming okay. out. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so one of the things, one
0: of my favorite quotes that she said on my show, and she also says in the book, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, You know, people are like, hey, I totally get this poly thing. I love it. I love the values. I love the principles. I've done the negotiation. This is totally working. Oh my God, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Hmm. (sighs) Right? So people can get it in idea, Hmm. and then they begin to execute it, and everything goes wrong. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. I mean... There are so many directions that we could go in in talking about that. And actually in either next week or two weeks from when this episode posts, we have an, uh, a whole episode dedicated to kind of talking about like the the kind of like sometimes idealistic aphorisms that the polyamory community tends to repeat Ad nauseum to a lot of newbies that are not necessarily wrong or incorrect, but leave out some nuance and sometimes run perpendicular to people's actual lived experiences. So I think there's certainly a, a definitely a, a big part of that. Um, what I do appreciate about Jessica Fern's book about polysecure is the fact that you know while I feel like the more than two approach has been um, you know kind of this sense of like if you can get your own shit together. And keep yourself calm and deal with your own insecurities and communicate well enough, then this is going to go well. And I feel like the polysecure approach is puts more of this emphasis on, let's look at what's happening in your attachments with the people around you and with your partners. And if those are solid, and including if you have a solid sense of attachment to yourself, that's going to set you up for a better uh, you know, better foundation for success potentially. And I feel like in reality, it takes a little bit of both approaches, honestly. It's like there's going to be some times where it is going to be, okay, this is my personal growth and this is the stuff I got to work through and this is the stuff I need to get on lock. But also what's going on in your attachments with your partners and in your relationships with your partners is also very, very relevant because if there's something missing there, if there's something that you're not getting that you need, you can do all the meditation and read all the books and do all the jealousy workbooks and stuff like that, and it's not gonna feel any better.
0: Right. Right. Um yeah, it makes me think, I mean, the piece missing, maybe it's as simple as saying that the piece missing from more than two is is a trauma informed lens, right? Which is ironic. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: or or not ironic at all. I yes, <laughs> yeah, perhaps not. Yeah. yeah
0: both mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean cuz because i think it i think polysecure i feel like takes into account that like we all have these traumas and baggage and wounds and negative experiences and we bring them into relationship and they and they're real for people right so someone can say i'm not jealous i'm not jealous i'm not jealous my partner is out with their other partner right now and i Feel like I'm going to die. Mm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's a real feeling. Mm-hmm. Something is getting pressed on, something's getting pushed there. Um, and it often has to do with trauma. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, cause of course we all, like you said, it was so simple. <laughs> what you said, Dedeker. it was like, you know, when you like have your shit together and you've right. worked on all your issues and now right. you're coming. And I was like, right. Who is yeah. that? <laughs> like yeah. who is that person? Yeah. Right. Cause I don't know anyone uh-huh. that would even claim that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think that that does kind of bring us back to talking about more than two and it's explanation of, of relationships, I guess, and relationship anarchy ideals or things like that. And I actually would say, I think the big flaw with More Than Two is that it it is almost kind of this theoretical, if every single actor in every situation was hyper-rational all the time. And I mm. just, it's not realistic. It's not how life works. Mm. And that's actually something that I'm going to say again, how good... Andy Nordgren's A Brief Manifesto on Relationship Anarchy is, is that each thing in that is, like each of the, what is it, 10 sections in it? It's like,
3: yeah, like 10 paragraphs, like, something like that. I think that. it's 10
1: paragraphs. That each one is so simple in a way, and yet I don't think any of them are ignorant to the fact that life is hard and people have emotions and we've all got trauma I think particularly because it was written not just by Andy, but by their whole community, uh, that was a community of queer people, not of people who were cisgender and basically heterosexual, which a lot of the other people I see writing about relationship anarchy are, tend to fit more into that model. And I think that because of that, Andy's manifesto is so... Like it's painting this picture of this beautiful way that we could be taking care of each other and examining our own relationships and trying to tear down internally some of this scaffolding that culture has built in us of how we think about our relationships. But it's by no means treating it like, yeah, once you got this figured out, then you have no problems. It's more like Mm -hmm. this is a thing we can try to do to answer the problems that we do have, like to try to address the problems that we do have
0: necessarily know that it like goes back to sort of the identity of the person writing because to me queer is an identity and a practice and a politics but it's also a lens right i i know mm-hmm. plenty yeah, of people really who, good who identify as heterosexual who who approach you know who approach life through a queer lens sure. or through a non-normative lens um so i think in that way straight people you can, uh, appropriate this, uh, for your use, but, um, be, be careful with it mm-hmm. and acknowledge it. Um, but, but queer to me can also be a lens, mm-hmm. right. Um, that we apply or that we attempt to embody in our lives and in our relationships.
2: Well thank you so much that was a really amazing conversation. It's so nice to like get to do this with someone who's been in the sex positive space for many years and it, you know do like a 201 301 401 course on polyamory and sex positivity. So we really appreciate That's it. That's
0: totally that's totally how I felt. Yeah, you know, that exactly. was a really good way to wrap it up. Like, I feel like we got deep into some stuff yeah. that was beyond the surface. Absolutely, I, It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank
2: you so much. And so where can people find more out about you?
0: So my podcast is called Sex Out Loud and you can find more about it uh at sexoutloudradio.com because it was a radio show. <laughs> like, yes. I feel so old. Aww. Um I sh- I got to get that fixed. Okay sexoutloudradio.com on all podcast platforms. My website is com. Like, just try to spell it and then Google will probably correct it for you. And I am at Tristan Taramino across all social media.
2: Yay. Thank you so much. So we're going to continue the conversation that we had with Tristan on sex positivity and the pandemic in our very long bonus episode. So we got pretty in-depth into this conversation and we really explored a lot of things regarding sex positivity, which is really in her wheelhouse and the pandemic. So if you want to check that out, become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash multi-amory. I feel like this was a really incredible opportunity to get to talk to someone who's been in this world for a very long time and who has a huge amount of knowledge on it. So I so appreciated this. So our call to action question for our poll that's coming out the week of this episode on our Instagram is do you identify as a solo polyamorous? We're interested to know. If you identify as that, if you know anyone who's identified as that, let us know. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash Multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on Multiamory.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?